Hi, hello, how are you? My name is Maxim Ibadev, and y'all are listening to Let's Talk. Today's subject is very close and dear to my heart. We are going to be talking about protests in Russia. And what were those protests for? Well, they were against Putin, against corruption, and in support of Alexei Navalny, a very prominent and probably the most prominent Russian opposition politician who has recently been poisoned by Putin himself. And upon his return from being treated in Germany, he got arrested right there. Boom. Before we talk about who Navalny is and what transpired in Russia that, you know, he had to be poisoned, I'd like to talk a little bit about the protests. And I went to a protest that was happening here in New York City in front of the Russian embassy. This subject is very dear to me because I remember in 2012 when Putin was re-elected, rigged re-election, you know, the election was rigged. It was truly rigged, actually. You know, there was a region of Russia called Chechnya that 146% of their population voted for Putin. I mean, I don't know how they do math down there in Chechnya, but 146% of the population is impossible. So in 2012, when Putin won re-election, there were massive protests happening in Russia, and I participated in the protests, and trust me, it did not go very well for me, and the reason I'm sitting here in New York is because of that, and Putin came to power, and right away, he started arresting people, he started killing people, you know, Boris Nemtsov was shot on a bridge next to Kremlin, there were many jokes that Putin did it himself through a little window, and yeah, ever since 2012, Russia has not been the same place as it was before, because there was a very significant change in Putin's power, even though he's been in power for 21 years. I am 24. He's been president for most of my life. My sister was born in 2003 in Russia. She doesn't know any other presidents. Maybe Medvedev, who was a president between 2008 and 2012, but we all know, honey, that she was just a phase, that Putin was really running the show behind, that Putin was the marionette pulling the strings. Because Medvedev is known as somebody who can't really do anything. His most famous thing is that he falls asleep during every single meeting. You know, like, that's Medvedev. So last Saturday, January 23rd, I thought it's important for me to go to protest here in New York because I wanted to show solidarity with people in Russia. And this has been the largest protest in Russian modern history. Russian people are not necessarily known to protest because it's very hard to organize. It's a gigantic country. In case y'all didn't heard, Russia is the biggest country in the world. It has eight time zones. It's also incredibly cold. So in certain parts, again, I don't know if you heard, but Russia is cold. It can be very hard to organize because 70% of Russia doesn't have access to internet. And most of Russia get their news from TV. And the TV is, of course, owned by the government. You know, it's like when conservatives in the United States scream that, oh, censorship, censorship, our voices are being silenced. No, go to Russia. You'll see what a real censorship is. Yalka fuck. News in Russia, every single news channel is Fox News pro Putin, so don't get it twisted. So it's 
been pretty hard to organize protesting in Russia. And, you know, all the protests that happened before this year actually usually happen in big cities, you know, Moscow, the capital, it's where I'm from. Shout out to Moscow or St. Petersburg or some other big towns. But it hasn't really reached smaller places because people in there just don't know better and they don't know how to organize. But last summer, last year was just a very big year for protesting in general in the world. You know, we had Black Lives Matter protests here in America. There were protests in Hong Kong against China. Belarus, which I've talked extensively on this podcast, had a lot of protesting just because their election was also rigged. You know, they try to get rid of their dictator, Alexander Lukashenko, who's been in power since 1994. You know, that is somebody who's been in power for longer than I've been alive. And that's fucked up. That is fucked up. Nobody should be running nothing for that long because at a certain point you get disconnected from your people. You don't know what they want. You only care about staying in power. And also being in power for 30 years. Yeah. It's crazy. So yeah, we've seen that there was a lot of protesting happening around the world. And in Russia as well, there has been protests happening in the city of Khabarovsk, which is on the west side of Russia, for months after the very popular governor, Furgal, has been arrested on some bullshit, 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 bullshit reasons. Even though Furgal is still part of the establishment, he is not from the United Russia Party, which is the governing party ruled by Putin. And because he was trying to fight corruption in his own region and in his own oblast, how they call them in Russia, we can call them state, even though it's a bit different than from American states because they don't have as much authority as the states in the United States do. So after he was arrested for fighting corruption and after his region didn't overwhelmingly support the constitutional reforms, they arrested him and people started protesting it. And it was really the first time we've saw that somewhere else other than Moscow and St. Petersburg were protesting against the government. And, you know, they were calling for Putin to leave. They were calling for Furgal to be released and you know people were protesting and it was very 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 cool to see that and it gave me hope and those people they were protesting for months every single day and even the local police sometimes joined them because at this point it just got ridiculous so what happened january 23rd which is gonna go down in russian history as one of the most important dates because again this is when people in every single city in every single town in russia went to protest as well as internationally you know new york london paris even ukraine even parts of ukraine that are occupied by russia and crimea there are people in Symphia and Sevastopol who came out in support of Navalny and against Putin. So, some of you may be wondering, who is Navalny? Who is this mystery man? Who is this Voldemort? I call him Voldemort because Putin is so afraid to say his name that he just calls him, you know, that person or the German client or the German patient. So, I want to let everybody know who Alexei Navalny is. So, 
he is a Russian politician, a lawyer, a YouTuber, because that is how you create opposition in Russia. You create content on social media because you can't really rise to political power in Russia through elections or by holding public office. Alexei Navalny was never able to hold public office. He's most known as the founder of FBK, which translates as a foundation for combating corruption because Russia and corruption are synonymous. The levels of corruption in Russia are sometimes compared to African countries. You know, everybody steals from the budget and it's just so deeply rooted. It's almost impossible. It's in the DNA of Russia. So he's been trying to fight corruption and not in the way that, you know, the government fights corruption. They create these companies that are supposed to fight corruption, but they're just channeling money. And in 2009, he's been labeled as the person of the year by Vietnamese, major Russian publication. And, you know, even Forbes magazine named him one of the hundred most powerful and influential people in the world. He ran for mayor of Moscow in 2013, and he actually got the second place. He got 23% of the vote, which is pretty significant, again, considering Russia's history of rigging elections, you know, just stuffing ballots and or just sometimes just writing numbers. He didn't win, but it was very significant because mayor of Moscow is a very, very important political position in Russia. Moscow is not just the capital of Russia, where the government is and where Kremlin is when Putin resides. Um, it's also the largest city that has the most businesses and it's a very important position that whomever controls Moscow has direct access to the president, to the government, to the transportation, and, you know, a very big chunk of money. Navalny lost that election, but he continued working. You know, he kind of got this political prominence, and then they try to put him in prison many times. He was arrested many, many times. Um, trust me, Alina, we'll get to the castle. I have a lot to say about the castle. They try to put him in prison for Kirov Les, that, you know, his stole forest property. And then there was an issue with Yves Rocher, you know, a French company that produces cosmetics. And, you know, they even once tried to label that FBK, his company, were responsible for poisoning children in Russia. Just the most ridiculous bullshit that, you know, Navalny, who is a lawyer, as I mentioned earlier, he took all those cases to the European courts and all the European courts ruled in his favor and they actually made a Russian government pay Navalny almost 300,000 euros were they paid of course not of course not because you know they didn't have money to pay him you know all the money went to Putin's palace which again we're gonna get to in a second so again Navalny tried to run for president in 2018 and even though he was the only candidate who actually did all the proper requirements to run for president he was not allowed to because of a previous thing that he owed somebody money you know bullshit as if owning money in Russia ever prevents anybody in Russia from doing something. Remember in the 90s? Oof. Yeah. Everybody who made money in the 90s through like illegal schemes and stealing and all of that good stuff, they're still there. Well, you know, they either became friends with Putin and he put them in power positions or they didn't want to share money with him and they were expelled from Russia or killed. Again, Khodorkovsky is a good example. 
Or Berezovsky is a good example, who was poisoned in London. No, I don't think he was poisoned. I think Berezovsky was actually shot. You know, whatever happened, my best friend went to high school with Berezovsky's daughter, and she said that, that that girl was a complete bitch. So, karma. So... Navalny is getting a lot of prominence, and I do want to mention one more thing. As I said earlier, Navalny is a very prominent YouTuber, and he did gain a certain amount of power by releasing various videos on his two YouTube channels, Alexei Navalny and Navalny Live. He released these two very prominent films. One was called Chaika, which was about a former attorney general of Russia, um, Yuri Chaika, um, which to all of my Chekhov fans out there, and the Chaika means seagull. So he made a movie about him and exposed his corruption and how much money he laundered and all the real estate he bought and how he transferred that money to his two sons and just the exposed for the first time, really how big and massive the corruption is in Russia. And then the second one was more popular was called He's Not Demon to You, or in Russian, On Vam Ne Demon, which was about Dmitry Medvedev, president of Russia from 2008-2012, and then he was the prime minister and basically the head of government. Because in Russia, things are very different. They try to have three branches of the government. They have the executive, which is the president. They have the legislative, which is... Well, it's kind of four, actually. They have the president, and they have the government, which which they call is the prime minister and everybody down. Then they have the legislative, which is Duma and the union of the federations, kind of like in America. And then there's the courts. And trust me, all of those are equally corrupt. At least there's some equality in Russia. And again, the On Vam Demon video about Dmitry Medvedev also exposed the incredible levels of corruption. And it kind of changed things because Medvedev was seen as this benign and good character in Russian politics. And then we saw the levels of his corruption that really turned people away from him. And those two movies were actually pretty important, I would say, because after Navalny made both of those movies, eventually both Chaika and Medvedev were demoted and they lost some of their political power. Of course, nobody took any of their property because, you know, they've been saying that this is, all of those things are not true. Even though you can find those properties, you can go on Google Maps and like search them and it will show you exactly what they are. Navalny made those two videos and he started to get very dangerous because he was exposing levels of corruption that actually started affecting the government that those people had to be demoted. So last year, August, Navalny was poisoned by this chemical weapon called Novichok, which is a poison that has been used by Putin and his cronies to kill political opponents, especially in England. We've seen it with multiple people being killed with this nerve agent. Basically what it does is that it damages the nerves and then the person just can't breathe. It's a very, it's it's chemical weaponry that was created in Soviet union and they kind of banned it but no they didn't so Navalny was poisoned with that while he was in Russia when that happened it gained a lot of international attention because Navalny is a very prominent political figure in the world known as the last great oppositioner to Putin and his corrupt dictatorial regime and you know when that happened you know there was a big outcry international community and Angela Merkel who is the chancellor of Germany has called for um, Navalny to be brought to Germany so he 
can be treated because the doctors in Russia refused to treat him. And within a matter of a couple of days, Navalny could have been killed. But again, Russian doctors waited a certain amount of time for Novichok to get out of the system because it's a kind of a self-destructive drug that, you know, after a couple of weeks, you just can't find it in the system, which is why it's perfect because you poison somebody and then there is no traces of it. Eventually, Navalny was brought to Germany. He was treated there. And, you know, there were international reports by American, German, French doctors that all said that Navalny was poisoned. That's it. You know, Navalny was poisoned with an attempt to be killed. And to anybody who has a brain or to anybody who's been following this, this was pretty clear that, you know, this has happened by Putin's orders. And then Navalny, ooh, you got to give credit to him. Um, as complex of a figure he is, you got to give credit to him because he made two more movies for his YouTube channel. One where he actually traced back everybody who was involved in his poisoning, showing that this was a massive scheme involving tens of people, involving a lot, a lot of various government officials, scientists, and a group of bandits who were following him back and forth. So he made a gigantic movie the work of which was so impeccable that anybody who saw the movie was left asserted. And then he made a second movie in which he called one of the people who poisoned them and pretended to be like a government clerk who was just writing a report. And he asked all the questions about how he was poisoned. And, you know, the person whom he had on the phone basically confessed to the whole thing. If you speak Russian, I highly recommend you go watch those movies. Or if you speak English, you can still go watch those videos. Um, they have subtitles. After Navalny was poisoned and, you know, he got a lot of international recognition, a lot of people watched those videos. I think over 30 million views for both of those. And if you consider the fact that those two were in Russian and that each view doesn't necessarily mean one person, it can mean a family because I've watched all of those videos with my roommates, two roommates who basically count one view, three people. So a lot of people saw this after Navalny came out of coma because he was in coma, you know, people thought that he's actually gonna die. But you know, God is good. God is a woman. She made sure that Navalny came back to conscious from coma. And that's how he made those movies. And then he announced that he's going to come back to Russia, which was a very bold move that nobody could see coming because, you know, they thought that they would scare him so much that he would not come back to life. But unlike Putin, Navalny actually has balls and courage and bravery because Putin is a coward. And speaking about Putin, a couple of days before Navalny came back to Russia, Navalny dropped the most successful and watched movie of his YouTube channel, which was about Putin's own corruption. Remember the movie that he made about Chaika and Medvedev? He made the same movie about Putin and oh, it was glorious, mama. This two-hour movie about Putin's palace, this gigantic, enormous palace the size of Versailles, the size of Hermitage, or probably even bigger, uh, located near Sochi. Some of you might remember Sochi is a city in Russia where they held the 2014 Olympics. Again, another case study for corruption, but not just in Russia, but in FIFA, because how the hell did Russia get, you know, to host Winter Olympic Games in the south of Russia, which is basically a tropical region. But also that is very important 
because upon the completion of those Winter Olympics in 2014, that's when the second Ukrainian revolution happening and people overthrew the government and that started the whole Crimea thing and civil war in Russia. So that 2014 in Sochi is very important. But Putin had, had a dacha there that everybody knew about, but nobody had even an idea of what it looks like or the scopes of it. And Mama, that one, you have to go watch. Find translations, watch the captions. It's absolutely stunning. Because that movie about the palace, it shows how Putin got to power through corruption, through mafia, through killing people, through putting his childhood friends in different positions of government and eventually becoming the president of Russia. And then it exposes the deep-rooted level of corruption and how much money was actually taken from the federal government, you know, the taxpayers' money, to put it to this one palace that cost almost trillion rubles. It was over hundreds of billions of dollars. And again, you might think, oh, what's wrong with that? You know, a man is just crazy, decided to build himself a gigantic house. That is all taxpayers' money. Not a penny from Putin's own money, which is, again, he's the president of Russia for the past 20 years. He didn't have any other jobs. You know, he can't, like, I'm president of Russia, but I'm also a freelancing hockey star or a freelancing karate star, and I give speeches. No, he doesn't do any of that. Being president of Russia is his main income. So how did he? How was he able to manage that much money and build that palace, that castle, that just, oh my God, it's extraordinary. Because not only is it a gigantic palace with rooms and ballrooms and bars, he's crazy. He's absolutely crazy. He built himself an indoor five-floor hockey stadium for one person. The territory is absolutely gigantic. And besides that, Putin has a hobby. He likes to make wine. So they built two wine factories, to quote Simone from RuPaul's Drag Race, icon legend, factories on two sides of his dacha. And it just also shows that even though they don't really produce that much wine, oh, and an oyster farm that doesn't produce any oysters. Those are just all things offshore to create some things to channel money into building his dream palace. And the thing that a lot of people got from this movie was the funniest thing that, you know, they found all the things that have been bought because there's some people on the inside of building the palace provided Navalny and his team of all... They brought all the receipts, Mama. They brought receipts. And the funniest thing was that in one of the bathrooms, in one of the wine factories that Putin built, that he never visits. You know, the toilet scrubber cost $700. And a holder for toilet paper, another $500. What's the math? I'm an artist. I'm not really good at the math. But what, $700 plus $500? $1,200 just for... Two items in a toilet that Putin never comes to. That is more than the pension of one Russian senior citizen for the whole year. And Russian people, they're starving. Starving. Russia is so poor, but the government never has any money. You know, a very famous quote by Dmitry Medvedev was, We don't have any money, but good luck. That movie 
highly recommend about Putin's palace and also about his hoes. Oh, yeah. They talk about his hoes and his children. He got some real baby mama drama up in that shit. Because you know what? Every one of those kids needs to have an apartment and a house and pension. Poor Putin. He's running out of money to steal for Russian people to support everybody's bougie lifestyle. You know, Putin is the definition of bad and bougie. So that video had almost 90 million views. The population of Russia is around 130 million. Of course, people watched it outside of Russia, but basically everybody in Russia at this point has seen that video. And the way that video is done, that it will convince even the most diehard Putin supporter and Navalny skeptics about this because it's just so, so, so well done because Navalny's team are brilliant at marketing and conveying message. So Navalny releases that video and a couple of days later he comes back to Russia, which has been its own circus because, you know, people got on a plane with him. A lot of Russian people actually bought tickets to fly with him because for them it was an honor to fly with him. And, you know, there were a lot of journalists from all over the world, you know, The Economist, The New York Times, French newspapers, Israeli newspapers, everybody was on that flight. And there was so much bullshit because he was supposed to arrive in one airport. They rerouted to another airport to make sure that, you know, nobody comes to support them because people came to support him. Basically, whomever was left in Russian opposition, people like Lyubov Sobel or Roisman or Blikov, all of those people came to support Navalny to find out that he flew to a different airport. And the second he crossed the border at the, you know, the customs, when they checked the passport, they arrested him. They arrested him right away for some charges that they literally came up with a couple of days before. You know, they found that he hasn't paid some fines here and there. You know, in Russia, if they want to put you in prison, they'll put you in prison. And you know, it's funny because when Putin was asked about Navalny in like a press conference, he said this, that which translates into if we wanted to kill him we would have killed him you know kind of disregarding the whole thing so but they found a way to imprison him and they took him straight to a police station and they tried him but the court was the police station he was never allowed in the courtroom his lawyers were not allowed to come in it's just the circus was just so ridiculous that after all of that, Russia can't even claim to be a democratic country. They can't even claim to be a country of laws because it's lawlessness. It's almost like the Trump administration. I'm innocent. Putin is my best friend. I love him. We're going back to the protests and what really this popped, this pimple, this giant, juicy, bloody zist of people just being so tired. People have been tired for 20 years. Putin's been in power for 20 years. And let me tell you, not a lot of good things have been done in Russia, especially in the past five years. People were like, you know what? We're over it. We are over it. So, you know, Putin's poisoning. Enough. Putin's poisoning. I fucking wish. I fucking wish. Even though there's conspiracy theories that Putin's been long gone and everybody that we see is just clones. But, you know, Navalny's poisoning. Navalny's arrest upon his return. And all those videos, specifically video about Putin's palace, people were just done. So they came out into the streets. And I saw videos from 
towns and cities all over Russia. And people came out by thousands. And of course, the Russian media said that, you know, it wasn't successful. They didn't achieve anything. They said that, like, maybe 10,000 people came out in the whole country. But then the official arrest statistics that around 4,000 people in the whole country were arrested. So that, that just doesn't make sense. And even in New York, where I came out to support, which I was very excited for. I went with my roommate, Angelina, hi, and some other friends, and we came there. And we weren't expecting a lot of people because the last time I came to the Russian embassy was to vote last summer in uh, the referendum that Russia had on the constitution. You know, they changed a lot of the constitution, and I had an episode about it too. We went to the Russian uh, consulate and we voted, and there was like mostly old people, old Putin supporters who all came voted in favor of constitutional reforms and there was this one guy outside with, a, with some poster, posters protesting so I thought you know what not a lot of people are gonna come and boy girl non-binary gender non-conforming was I wrong I think around thousand people came I have some videos on my Instagram I have some videos on my TikTok if you want to go check it out but there was a lot of people and so many young people some people even brought their children and then we marched from the embassy on 9 96th Street, Two Times Square, down Fifth Avenue, which all of my New Yorkers know that's a 50 block walk. And it was cold, it was brick. It was cold as hell on Saturday. So that's just, you know, the spirit of Russian people. Because if, you know, if we're being made fun for loving the cold, we might as well embrace it. But people in Russia actually went out. Because, you know, it's very easy to protest here in New York where we have the First Amendment. In Russia, you can't protest. It's not allowed. And, you know, they were saying that, you know, if they see any school students or college students for protest, they're going to get expelled. And people are going to get fired. And Russian people at this point are just so desperate and so fed up with all this corruption and lawlessness and murders and just lack of any transparency. You know, that people were just like, you know what? We done, period. So people came out and I saw videos that, you know, of course they were, people were arrested and of course the armed forces and the police were beating the shit out of people and arresting them. There was one video of police grabbing some underage kid and they were dragging him and this woman came up to them and said, what are you doing to him? And this cop, he kicked her in the stomach. She fell, hit her head so bad that she had a fracture and then they brought her to the hospital. And in the hospital, the doctor said, the head doctor said that she's feeling marvelous but the you know official reports was that she was feeling very 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 sick and then the police officer you know came with flowers to apologize to her saying that oh you know he couldn't see what was going on because his glasses were fogged even though in a video his glasses were off liar but you know most things that i saw police officers were standing there because i think that police officers are also done and tired because in this situation they're the bad guys and nobody wants to be the bad guy because they're not even getting money out of it. You know, all the politicians who sold their soul, at least they have palaces. These people in the police, they don't have that. And they have to come home with blood on their hands to their children, knowing that they are supporting a bloody regime and kicking and killing their own citizens, their, you know, their friends and neighbors. And just seeing all of that 
just gives me hope that even though the protest was not necessarily explicit of support of Navalny, because a lot of people still don't support Navalny, they're afraid of him, they're afraid of his radical policies, they're afraid of his certain nationalistic views. I mean, for example, he supports creating visas for countries in Central Asia, which will be detrimental because a lot of people from countries of Central Asia, which are very poor, they come to Russia for work. And Navalny wants to do that to protect, you know, Russian jobs, which is a very similar thing, you know, when it's like, when Mexico sends its best, they don't, blah, 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 you know, kind of like, you know, to protecting local jobs for foreigners, even though the jobs that those foreigners do, like cleaning the streets, Russian people don't want to do. So even though Navalny as a political figure himself is scaring, as a symbolic figure of democratic future for Russia, people support him. And I think that after all of this, Russia is finally waking up, you know, in words of Pushkin, you know, Russia is going to wake up. And I think that we're going to see much more protesting. I think we're going to see much more political engagement because at this point, the numbers are in people's favor. You know, one of the things that people were saying is that мы тут we are the power here. And once you give people that feeling that they have power, after so many years of stagnation and hopelessness, I think that once you taste freedom, once you taste breath of fresh air, you don't want to go back to that. And now people know that there's thousands and hundreds of thousands and probably millions of people who are in solidarity with them. And Putin may, may be in power now. And Lukashenko, like another bloody dictator, may be in power now. And Putin might be the president for the rest of his life. But his regime, the time is ticking. Because Russian people are resilient and strong. And oh, I'm getting emotional talking about my own people. Because for so many years, I thought that Russia is over. But now I'm, I'm, I'm seeing so much hope. I'm having so much hope from this younger generations. People my age, people like my sister's age who are 17. And I think Putin should be scared and worried that his time is coming to an end thank you for listening if you like this episode please check out my other episodes of my podcast you can follow me on instagram at maxim underscore fab and on tiktok where i'm now producing political videos at maxim underscore let's talk stay resilient protest no matter what country you're in because again we are the power here not those fucked up corrupt politicians who are too scared to show their faces in public and who have to build themselves castles in Mar-a-Lago or in Sochi because they're cowards. They don't know real life. They don't know real work. But we the people, we do. And I will see you next week. Bye-bye.